Hello, and welcome back to Love That Movie Podcast. Uh, I'm Ellen, as always, and uh, I am joined by a guest to chat about their favorite movie or a movie they love. Um, I'm very excited. This week, we uh, we have friend of the show, Shane Byerly here. Hello. Hey. Hi, Ellen. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm excited to have you to chat about a movie you love. Um I am excited to be here. I have proudly listened to all four, four or five episodes now, and I'm definitely it's it's a great show, and um, I'm ex- I'm so excited to be here. I feel honored. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, so we kind of met or connected through both being friends with the guys on Mad About Movies and being on their show various Indeed. times. Um, so another shout out to them. <laughs> Another shout out to those guys. Connecting us all, I suppose. Yes. um, Very thankful for that. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I reached out to you uh, about a couple weeks ago to be like, hey, do you want to be on the show? And then, of course, what movie would you like to talk about? And you came back with a really, really fun one, which I'm excited to dive into. Um, Yes. So go yeah so uh, give us the info. <laughs> so the movie is a movie from 1963 and it is called it's a mad 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 world. Um, and it is absolutely one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. When you when you asked me to be on the show, um, I, I didn't have to think about it for more than a half a second before I knew what movie um, I wanted to talk about. It's this kind of very large ensemble comedy. Uh, slapstick type movie and it's just a movie that for some reason or another it just doesn't really get the credit that I feel like it deserves in the history of kind of movie comedy right I mean even back Mm -hmm. from the silent era of like Charlie Chaplin and the Marx Brothers and you know and all that stuff it's just it for some reason or another it just doesn't seem to make a ton of people's list of like all-time greatest comedy and so I'm always trying to champion this movie and and introduce new people to it and uh so I'm glad uh, I got the opportunity to talk about it with you yeah me too um yeah and by no means am I kind of any kind of like Hollywood or film historian but like from what I know and from what I've paid attention to, I kind of feel like the sixties are a really odd decade of like transition. So when people talk about like, you know, great movies of, you know, throughout the history, it's not often you get one that's like from the sixties. Cause it was such a time of like, you have all these stars, which we'll talk about the stars that are in this, that are kind of in a way aging out of like their prime. And we have yes. yet to get like, the new wave of modern cinema, which was like very much established in the seventies. Well, a lot of people would say, so I can see why you feel like no one remembers or recognizes this movie because not a lot of movies from this time kind of get their due. You're exactly right. The sixties were such a weird time for movies. And so, yeah, a lot of movies from the sixties get, uh, get forgotten, but this one definitely deserves to be remembered forever. So, uh, like I said, glad you got a chance to watch it and I'm glad we're here to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So give me a little bit of background of like when you first saw this or like what made it such an important movie for you. So I saw this movie when I was a kid. It came on television and I remember watching it with my family. And I I remember looking back now, I remember like just being struck by how much that I enjoyed the movie, my parents enjoyed the movie, and my grandparents enjoyed the movie. 
um, at the same time. It was like this multi-generational thing. And of course, I was young. I was probably five or six. I definitely did not understand. Like, I didn't know who any of the stars were, but the comedy just worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that my grandparents remembered all of these people from movies and television and stuff, and, and probably to a lesser extent, my parents as well. But I think the thing that I remember most about watching this movie for the first time is there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where this couple that are in this truck, they get run off the side of the road. And I, and I remember my grandmother laughing so hard that I was concerned that she was going to like pass out. She was like gasping (laughs) for air so much. And, uh, and so when I think of this movie, I think of basically her introducing me to it, but I remember watching it just over and over and over again with my parents, um, when I was young and, you know, and, and growing up and stuff. So it's definitely when I, I, there's a nostalgia for this movie that I just makes me think about family when I think about it too. That's awesome. And it, it is definitely a movie that would fit well with everyone in the family can enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I mean, it's a movie from 1963, so inherently there's nothing super inappropriate uh, in it, but I do think it's a movie that you can enjoy with even younger children today and, you know, and, and your parents and your grandparents or, or your family or whatever. It seems like it's kind of a multi-generational crowd pleaser type deal. Mm-hmm. So I admittedly hadn't actually seen this one before, so thank you for introducing this to me. I loved every minute. Um, I'm so glad. <laughs> it's It truly is very, very funny and um, very good. And even though it is a very long movie with an intermission, which, God bless, love an intermission. <laughs> I know. If you're going to do a long movie, which, you know, people are obviously still very much making incredibly long movies love love an intermission thrown in there um but no i i didn't find it slow or uh boring at all and i know that that's an easy thing for someone my age to feel about an old movie um it's there's a lot of like quick cuts between action and there's a ton of action throughout um yeah absolutely i mean there's a lot of stunts a lot of car chases there's a lot of fast-paced dialogue in this um yeah the stunt work is insane like moving it into it but one of the things i wrote down was like these characters all should have died many times by now because this stunt (laughs) comedy is just obscene (laughs) yes absolutely and you know ironically enough it's if i mean you said it's a long movie you're absolutely right um the uh, interesting fact about this movie is that uh it when it first premiered back in 1963 it had what was called a roadshow version and the long story, the, the, the easiest way to explain a roadshow version is almost like a director's cut of the movie. Mm-hmm. And the roadshow version was 205 minutes long. Um, but amazingly when wow. the movie was done being showed around the country in the roadshow version, the idea of a home video market didn't exist. So when they were done with the roadshow version, they just threw away all of the prints of the roadshow version and so that version has essentially been lost to the sands of time. Oh, this wow. longer version. Um, Criterion Collection put this movie out on Blu-ray about six years ago, and they did an incredible job of restoring as much of the footage as they could find across the world. And there's some bits that they put on the Blu-ray um, that don't have sound. There's some bits that do have sound, but they don't have picture, so they've put like production stills. So they got a lot of it back, but still not all of it. Still, there's about 10 minutes missing from the original Roadshow version. So the longest version of this movie that audiences got to see in 1963 is just simply gone. Because, you know, nobody had the foresight of like, oh, maybe one day people will own this movie at home. (laughs) Yeah. It's... 
It is a funny thing going back and listening to. So, like, I mean, I've I've listened to other podcasts, like You Must Remember This and other um, just... I took, like, a Disney and film class in college, and it's it oh, kind nice. of blew my mind to be... Oh, yeah, I loved it. But it kind of blew my mind to be like, that's right. The idea of watching things at home, like, literally was not even in anyone's mind up until fairly recent history so most of like these films you just yeah it of course they didn't save it why would they yeah they're just <laughs> they're not even across their mind right yeah, yeah unless they're like disney and they're in the you know business of re-releasing every few years just to get some money but right yeah exactly but the general release version of this film the one that that is available that everybody can watch is 160 minutes and it's and it's it does run a little cleaner, a little smoother than the longer version, um, having watched both a number of times. But you definitely get the gist of the movie with the with the general release version. And, and it's still all of the best gags are still in the, the general release version for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some really great ones, too. Um, so before we get too into um, what I thought was a really great idea that you brought to the table of us kind of giving it a modern recast. Um, yeah. I'm very excited to get into this. I do want to get more into general thoughts about, um, like, how the movie holds up and the char- the characters and the cast, um, as well as, like, modern comparisons. I know you brought it up in the group chat with Mad About Movies, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, just, like, Rat Race. And you were like, oh, my God, no. How <laughs> no. dare you? That's blasphemy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And oh, I love Rat God. Race, but... Uh, no, after watching this, I was like, yeah, that's not a fun, that's not an, you know, a fair comparison. Yeah. I mean, Rat Race is a fun film and it definitely has a bunch of great gags in it, but it is definitely a pale, pale comparison to this movie, um, for sure. Um, the, the, the plot of this movie, just in a general sense for, for all of your listeners is that there's a group of, uh, four different cars and, and groups of friends and families that are driving down the freeway and they almost get run off the road by this guy who's driving like a maniac and he goes sailing off the the cliff and his car crashes and he and he flops out of the car and they all go down a couple of the people go down to see if he's hurt or if they can save him and as he's dying on the side of the road he explains that 15 years ago he buried uh $350,000 under a big W in Santa Rosita, California and so he he doesn't get to say much before he dies and then these people all kind of agree that well that was weird and they all go about their way but the minute they get back into their cars they all start secretly scheming about how to get down to Santa Rosita find this big W and get the cash that the that the guy was talking about mm-hmm. and uh, so then it kind of launches into this madcap chase of all of these people getting involved and, and some people are flying some people are driving and it's this whole thing and they're all trying to get to Santa Rosita to get this money uh, and it, it kind of builds and builds and builds to a, a massive climax at the uh, end of the movie. But uh, that's generally the the plot of the movie for uh, anybody who's curious. Mm-hmm. And then the also kind of somewhat B plot of the uh, detective who has been kind of following this guy who buried the money. He's just recently been released from jail. So he's been like following him for however many years that he's been in jail. Yeah. And he suspects that this is the case so he has like uh police detail all over southern california following these people to see where they go thinking that they're all chasing after this money and he's (laughs) just as interested in it 
Yeah, he's absolutely convinced that the 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 main guy, the guy that died, Smiler Grogan, is his character's mm-hmm. name. That he did bury the money. Now he's just letting these people find it for him. Basically, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so it's just so delightfully wacky. But um, anyways, but yeah, just on a general level, like it's just it's it's a huge cast, and that's obviously you know kind of the the thing that people remember most about this movie. I mean, it's hard to. You know, I I certainly um, uh, don't wasn't around at this period of time. But talking to my grandparents and talking to my parents, I mean, they're very quick to say like you can't even understand like how many hugely famous people were in this movie mm-hmm. um, at this time. I feel like the closest thing you could even compare it to is like an Ocean's Eleven. But even then, half of the eleven aren't like major celebrities. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So, I was told the same thing too by film members that I mentioned I was watching this and um it kind of made me feel like oh man I wish I had, I wish I could you know immediately recognize and understand outside of just like Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy you know Mhm yeah exactly weird weird side fact I I so I work at uh, Paramount the movie studio and because parking's a little tight there, I have to park in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery every day because that's just where I park. So <laughs> I walk by Mickey Rooney's like tombstone every single morning. Oh my god! I know. So every so almost every day, I see Mickey Rooney. And I always kind of tip my oh. hat a little bit of like, "Thanks, bud." <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. rest in peace. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. great. But yeah, it's just hard to imagine remaking a movie of this scale and by scale I just mean the amazing cast that it had um mm-hmm. you know to get everybody involved with that and obviously we're going to get into it a little bit later I think it'd be fun to do the recast but I, it's just incredible how many people you know I mean just to give you a scope of like how many like famous people are in this movie the three stooges and Buster Keaton make tiny cameos in this movie like that's uh-huh. how jam-packed it was like two of the biggest you know, comedy stars of their era just make these tiny, like, two-minute appearances in the movie. Yeah, and Don Knotts makes, like, a minute appearance, too. Yeah, Don Knotts is in it, too, right? For, <laughs> For like just a, a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing that always amazes me about this movie, and I've seen it now, I, I don't know, I mean, probably in the 20 or 30 region of times, every time I watch it, when the movie's over, I have a new favorite character. And it's always different than the last time I watched it. And this happens every single time um, that I watched the movie. I'm always like, oh, Sid Caesar was the best in this movie. And then the next time I'm like, nope, nope, Ethel Merman is my favorite, you know, oh, person in this movie. She's so great. <laughs> so great in this movie, yeah. Um, I mean, tell me, like, when you were watching it for the first time, like, did you kind of, when did you kind of settle into like, oh, okay, this is going to be what it is. I mean, you didn't really know much about the movie kind of going in, so... When did you feel like you settled into like, okay, these people are crazy and they're all just, they're going for this money, you know? Um, that's a good question. So yeah, going into this, I really didn't know much about it other than that it was a big ensemble. And then I just like glanced at the group chat where some of the other people were like, oh, it's like rat race. And you're like, how dare you? No, it's not. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, it's kind of, so I guess it's kind of like that kind of, you know, madness. But I'd say I probably first noticed like that they're all crazy they're all nuts is uh probably when the uh i guess the crumps really start getting into it because they seem like the level-headed people at the very beginning right (laughs) yeah exactly and it's you know so the 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 two married couple that are on their second honeymoon once 
not only is he starting to feel like we have to, you know, I guess that initial first drive away from, you know, uh, from Smiler and they're all kind of starting to speed up and speed up and speed up. And you're like, okay, the race is on. And then you see, I, I just, I don't know the way that them in particular, this couple descends into madness. (laughs) Very quickly. Very, very quickly. The, the scene, yeah, where they all, once they all realize that they're all going to try to make a dart for it, they all pull over and they have a conversation where they attempt to figure out, okay, if we all go down there together, we can split it up, you know, X amount of ways or whatever. And that's probably the most famous scene from this movie, right? When you Google mm-hmm. the movie or you Google pictures of it, that's the first thing you'll see is like a picture yeah. of that scene. I don't know how you felt about it, but definitely one of the things that does date this movie a little bit is how... Uh, so Melville Crump's character is so fast at being able to divide $350,000. Right. Like, he's like, well, if we divide it seven ways, that's 17,000. Like, there is no way that a group of people in 2020 (laughs) could do that. And certainly not me. I would immediately be whipping out my calculator and, like, rechecking. I'm so bad at math, but it just makes me laugh that, like, yeah, there would have to be, yeah, there'd have to be some serious, like, hints in character development to whoever the character is that can do that math so quickly has got to be some kind of like savant of some kind rather than <laughs> yeah. just like a guy. You know, yeah, exactly. Who happens I, I to do if, incredible mental math. <laughs> yeah, if that happened today, I'd be like, oh, it's Rain Man. That guy is yeah. definitely Rain Man. Like, there's no way that you could do that it would, math. It would be like, they would, yeah, they would change the character, say like... Uh, you know, the Benny Benjamin character would suddenly be that type of guy. Yeah. You know, it would <laughs> yeah. have to be some side character who's like doing math in the corner at this, you know, drop of a hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's just no way that like definitely dates it. It definitely feels like, oh, yeah, people used to be a lot better at math because they didn't have like the crutch of an iPhone in their pocket all the time. Yes. Um, I am know- curious. I wonder how much $350,000 is in today's money. I don't know. I mean, if if you were to remake this movie, you would just immediately have to bump it up to like three hundred fifty million. million. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. there's just there's just no way that people would go that crazy uh, for three hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Mm-hmm. Certainly not to sound cavalier, but the way that these people react in the movie, they're, Ellen was right. They're putting their lives on the line constantly yeah. uh, to get down to the Santa Rosita Park. Um, and there's no way you do that for $350,000. <laughs> <laughs> no. They're risking everything for this. Uh, what essentially could be a share. I mean, well, and then you go back. So, yeah, the scene you mentioned of the, they first pull off to say, like, we'll split it. And then no one can agree on the math. No one can agree on how many, you know, the system. <laughs> so they go, all right, then every man for himself. And then they just take off. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that, I love that too. Where they they start to get into the nitty gritty of like, okay, there were four cars, so that's four shares. Then there was one person in the car, so that's another share. And it's like the ridiculous amount of shares that they're trying to come up with gets so mm-hmm. convoluted that I would have left that conversation five minutes before everybody else did. I've been like, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yes. Okay. Was so there, let's. Did you find yourself, without getting into the end of the movie, did you find yourself immediately rooting for a particular group of characters or a character? Um, and, did, and did you find your allegiances changing during the movie? Um, yeah, kind of. So I liked Mickey Rooney's character. Yeah. 
So I was kind of rooting for him a bit, but I just really started to, like, really love um, Emmeline. Yeah. Uh, J- Russell's wife, the kind yes. of young... I mean, she quickly be not quickly but eventually becomes like the only level-headed person here she's like this isn't worth all of this risk and she's trying to talk sense into her raving mom and then her raving husband and yeah so (laughs) i i very much liked emmeline by the end especially when you get to that last scene yes where she's just kind of stone-faced while everyone's losing their minds Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do love that at the end there, even it, even the the prospect of the money still kind of gets the better of her, just oh, for a yeah. moment. But it's still it's still you just cannot resist that money, you know. Oh, totally. Oh God. Okay, it. so let's start going into characters because then we'll also talk about like their points in the movies too. Um, starting off with the guy who sets the plot in motion, but is only in it for one scene. Uh, Smiler Grogan, played by. Um, Jimmy Durante is that am I yeah. saying yeah Jimmy Durante he had a he had like a catchphrase like I don't know if he was on TV or what but his catchphrase was ha cha 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 and yeah. like yeah that was Jimmy Durante so yeah he's the he's the gangster that buried the money all those years ago and he's the one that goes sailing off the cliff and then he and then he quite literally kicks the bucket mm-hmm. um like that is the type of movie that this is is like when he dies it just randomly cuts to a bucket that was near him and he and you watch him kick it and it's like (laughs) that just cracks me up like it's just that's the weird level of zaniness that this movie is completely comfortable with from the start yes so a little caveat to my recasting here well in general so you and i have not shared any Hints at who we've picked. Um, no, we have not. I went purely based off character and like the movie rather than trying to find, well, for the most part, rather than trying to find like the modern day version of that actor because I admittedly, ashamedly so, am not as familiar with some of these people who I'm sure some listeners would find to be like total legends, but like. Oh, so I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I made a lot of choices on my list that I just felt were better for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, that but that don't necessarily match like especially what the person looked like back in the day. Totally. The only the only caveat that I had was that most of the people I picked had to be like really famous. <laughs> right. Yeah, I picked I mean obviously they're all like no names. They're not all necessarily comedians either. Yes, exactly. So it sounds like we're going to have maybe not similar lists, but we we kind of had the same criteria then for picking picking lists. Excellent. So, okay. So, so I'll, I'll let you go first for who you had for uh, Smiler Grogan. Yeah. So for Smiler Grogan, I, I think I wanted to get somebody who is very kind of like, uh, and I feel like I'm going to say this a lot, but like very kind of expressive and can like shout really well and kind of like make zany faces. And so I thought the person that would be funny. And also somebody, frankly, who's a little bit older, right? Cause Jimmy Durant mm-hmm. was older. So the person I thought it would be fun to have in his role would be Christopher Lloyd. Oh, that is a fun choice. Yeah. What about yeah. you? Who did you pick for Smiler Grogan? So I went with kind of, uh, a cameo King of his, of his own John Goodman, John Goodman. Nice. Very good. Oh, that would be so fun. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was... I, I kept thinking about like someone who's very, very famous, but also is will show up for like a scene in a really great movie and then be like, all right, that was my scene. And, and the thing that I have said about John Goodman over and over is that John Goodman is one of those rare actors that he has been in a ton of crummy movies, 
but John Goodman has never himself been crummy in a movie ever. Good He's point. always great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, I love that. That's a great choice. Okay. Um, so the next one that we had on our list was um, the captain played by yes. Spencer Tracy, Captain yes. Culpepper. Um, Again, a very just interestingly enough for for listeners that don't know Spencer Tracy all that well. Spencer Tracy was very well known for playing these very uh, heavy kind of dramatic roles, right? He mm-hmm. was he was the lawyer in um, Inherit the Wind, which was about the Scopes trial. He was also about he was also the dad in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, mm-hmm. um, but both of which were actually directed by Stanley Kramer, who directed this movie, and I think that. The the legend of this movie goes that that uh, Stanley Kramer was so tired of directing these like very heavy you know like moralistic dramas. Someone dared him that he couldn't make a comedy movie, so he set out to make the comedy to end all comedies, uh, <laughs> and this is what he came up with. But anyway, uh, Spencer Tracy, super super famous, serious actor. Right. Um, so it's it's delightful to see him in kind of a more he's serious in this movie, but still fun to see him kind of ham it up a little bit. Um, so I went with, and this is kind of the only exception to my rule of like I also kind of matched the actor to the actor a little bit, sure. who I think is kind of our version of that caliber of old Hollywood, and I picked George Clooney. George Clooney, very nice, very nice. I dig it. Um, I, so for mine, so let's. Is it safe? Can we get into spoilers for the movie now? Yes, full spoilers. Full spoilers. So at the end of this movie, Captain Culpepper uh, is having a very bad day. His wife is upset with him. His daughter's angry, and like, it, and he just he makes a bad decision that he himself is going to steal the money. So he is the last person who gets in on trying to steal this money, and and the and the gang starts chasing him. This whole thing. So when I was thinking of. Who is somebody who the audience immediately trusts and then would be completely shocked to see him make a bad decision and kind of become a bad guy at the end of the movie? And I thought the only guy who could pull that off would be America's sweetheart, Tom Hanks. Oh, that's a good one, too. See, another person who's at that level that like they're they are not common anymore. These old big names like that of Spencer Tracy. So Tom Hanks, I yeah, that's a good choice, too. Because I was just thinking you want someone who the audience assumes is always going to do the right thing. And mm-hmm. then so it's shocking at the end when he, you know, steals the money. <laughs> yeah. And small tangent, which very tangent friendly show here. I uh... Yeah, I love it. That was on the episode you had with Tobin. <laughs> I loved like you guys went down some weird rabbit holes on the Nacho Libre one, but it was delightful. So. I'm always here for it. And <laughs> um but speaking of that that aspect of Tom Hanks, so I recently watched Road to Perdition for the first time. Oh, nice. Did you like it? I loved it. And I I mean, I love Sam Mendes, and I think he, oh my God, he can shoot a movie like no one else. Um, but Agreed. It took me, a, it took me a, a, a minute, it took me a beat to get, get into the idea that, like, Tom Hanks is not playing America's dad. You know, like, he's right. playing kind of the anti-version of what we know and love about him in that movie. Um, But once I was able to just kind of let go, suspend reality as you're supposed to when you're watching movies, uh, I, you know, I very much enjoyed every second of it. Um, But yeah, that you, you make a good point because like the one time I've seen him play, not a good, trustworthy, honest man, it like totally threw me for a loop. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like if he just, you know, and the movie, this movie does a great job of, of letting you, like, you walk through his process so you understand why he did what he did, right? It was a stupid decision to steal the money, but you mm-hmm. understand, like, this guy's kind of at his wit's end and he just made one bad decision yes. that, uh, that kind of threw his life in disarray, so. But at that point in the movie, like, I'm not surprised by it by any means because all these characters made a choice to go steal some money. Yes, exactly. You know? The He's... other thing I do, I love about the movie is when he steals the money... I was reading up a little bit about this last night, and this was new information to me. Spencer Tracy, I think, died um, a couple years after making this movie, and he was not in good health when he made this movie. And so Mm -hmm. his time on set was very limited, et cetera, et cetera. But when you... So anyway, the scenes where he's like running up and down the stairs with the briefcase, when you, if you go back and rewatch it, it is clearly a stuntman in a rubber mask that looks nothing like Spencer Tracy. And like, you can definitely see it jiggle like and stuff. And it's just... You know, oh goodness! It is. It's. It just adds to the fun of this movie. But like, when you're really looking for it, you're like, "Yeah, that's not Spencer Tracy." <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go back and just watch that scene again. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, next character we had was uh, Russell Finch, played by Milton Berle. Yes. So you go first because I had a hard time casting this one. Yeah. So I mean, when you when you think about uh, well, when you think about Milton Berle, you think of something entirely different. But when you when you think of this character, um, you I, I, I like that he's kind of always like unsure of himself. He kind of just like it feels like he's kind of used to just getting crapped on by everybody in his life. So he's a bit of a sad sack. Um, and so the person who I thought could kind of play that sad sack well enough and then still be a movie star I to me I thought this would be a great casting for Ryan Gosling okay uh Ryan Gosling will come up later uh for nice. a different character nice yeah um, I just could see like I, like when I was thinking about it oh, like totally. I just see those like videos of like Ryan Gosling sad in the rain you yeah. know like from the notebook and I'm like yeah he can I think he can play a sad sack pretty well so that's kind of who I was uh thinking about for this movie so or for I, this part anyway yes that is a good choice he i mean honestly gosling can play anybody but no he can do and like there's a there's quite a bit of like physical comedy to russell as well especially when he's kind of like going toe-to-toe with the uh british driver yes and, and we'll stuff. definitely we'll get into that we'll later, get into that sure. too um so i like i kept getting hung up when casting this character because of the pair-ups and i don't know about you but like I have a hard time sometimes with like the, you know, middle-aged husband, 20-year-old wife trope. Yeah, for sure. So I kept thinking like I could, so I kept thinking back to like, well, who would play the wife? And then also like, who would he match up well with, with the um, British driver and all this stuff. So I kind of, I narrowed it down to three names, but I ended up, so I kind of thought an easy choice here would be Matt Damon. Sure, sure. Because he can do the, you know, both sides of the kind of, you know, guy who's not in control of the situation. And there's a lot of moments of him in the car kind of like sighing and not sure what to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. like. And, uh, I, I agree with you, but I disagree because Matt Damon is coming up on my list a little later. So we'll get into okay. him later, too. Well, I didn't end up picking Matt Damon, but I, okay. I narrowed it down to Matt Damon or Chris Pine, who I think can kind of do anything. And he's a little bit younger 
So it would make for, in my mind, a better match with like a 30, uh, an actress in her 30s. Um, yes, agreed. I like uh, that. Yeah, I think Chris Pine, and he can, he can do funny. Um, but I ended up choosing Bill Hader for this role. Nice. I like that. Bill Hader. That would totally work. I think Bill Hader has, I mean, we've seen, especially now after with Barry, like he has the chops to do like really dramatic. He can be a commanding presence, but he can also very much be like the fool, you know? And I feel like Russell kind of went back and forth of being like, clearly he's a man of, you know, wealth and power. Otherwise he wouldn't have like these people that he's taken care of or whatever. But also he very much plays the fool to his mother-in-law and to situations around him and he is often out of control. So I felt like Bill Hader kind of had is everything. <laughs> totally. And I like the, like his character in the movie, it like in it like invested all of their money into an edible seaweed company. And <laughs> the mother-in-law and, and the wife are just constantly giving him shit for it. And I like, I love that. I think Bill Hader could pull that off like really well. Um, I think one of the things too, that Bill Hader could pull off really well. Like when you, if you watch this movie again, Milton Berle is constantly doing stuff with his hands in, yeah. in any group scene. And that's like a super old movie trick to like make sure people are looking at you versus everybody else on screen. And I think that Bill Hader could definitely like do those little subtle things to attempt to steal the scene away from everybody else <laughs> that's mm-hmm. standing there, you know. So good choice. I like Bill Hader. That's great. Thank you. Uh, so, and then we had next on our list was uh, Emmeline Marcus Finch, uh, Russell's wife, played by Dorothy Provine. Yes, Dorothy Provine, yeah. And this is an actress I was not familiar with prior to watching this. And I know... No, I'm not super familiar with her body of work either. I think she was more from the TV side of things. Probably. Well, she's also, I think, probably like the youngest person on this cast. Yeah. Just by the right. looks of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, she seems way younger than everybody else. Which, yeah, I definitely I thought the same thing you did as well. I was like, I'm gonna try to pick a married couple that's a little bit closer, like in age, that kind mm-hmm. of matches. So, well, and I would hope in this remake that we're doing, she would have a little bit more agency. Yes, she, absolutely. She's a little reactive. Which, what's the point of casting a, you know, a talented actress for her to kind of just sit there? Right, exactly, exactly. For for her, I wanted to pick somebody who can do... A, like, I want to beef up her role in our remake, mm-hmm. but also, like, her character just does a lot with facial expressions and, like, doesn't have a ton of lines. So I wanted to pick somebody who can do a lot with, like, a disapproving look or a smile and just has a very expressive face and can communicate a lot without actually talking. Mm-hmm. So the person I thought that I'd like to cast for her would be Lupita Nyong'o because she was so amazing in Us. That's just a without, good choice. Without saying anything that I was like, she could be super disapproving and not have to say anything for us to get it, you know? Yeah. Okay. That's, that is a good choice. And that also, I'm sure, influenced your choice for her mother as well. Yes, and the brother as well. Yeah, and the there's brother kind of as a well. puzzle, the puzzle piece is playing together here. Well, you know, and I, and, you know, I probably... Admittedly, of course, this movie came out in the 60s. It is mostly white. Right, mostly white folks in this movie. And I didn't do a whole lot better at choosing to put, you know, actors of color in. um, Because it is a bit of a puzzle like that, too. Um, Right. But yes, Lupita is a great choice. And she 
she is so expressive and would love to see her do more comedy because she's kind of been asked to do some really heavy dramas. Yes, absolutely. I think she'd be fun. And I also think it would just be fun to watch Lupita Nyong'o just, like, give Ryan Gosling a bunch of shit. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> or Bill a, Hader, right? Yeah, that's a good pairing, too, her and her and Ryan Gosling. Certainly. Yeah. Um, so, so what about you? Who do you, who so are you I went, thinking? Yeah, I went with someone who, yes, ideally, if the role was kind of beefed up more, um, someone who does great with reacting as well. I thought Anna Kendrick would be fun. Oh, nice. That's a great choice. Yeah, she would. Because she could, again, very expressive eyes. She can very much, like, glare in the backseat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's, that'd be a good choice. Yeah, she's a very good physical comedian as well when it comes to just, like, how her comedic timing and her delivery of lines. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought that would be a, a good pairing. And I know and her also, and Bill Hader just played brother-sister in that uh Christmas movie for Disney Plus, but oh, I thought, yeah. yeah, why not? Why not have them also be married? <laughs> yeah, why not? Right? I mean, it's I mean, if, it's Jason, <laughs> if Jason Bateman and Justine Bateman can play uh, like that, they were dating in Arrested Development. We can do all sorts of weird <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> Plus, the other thing, I I've never met her before, but I I believe I have been told that Anna Kendrick is very very small. Like she's short, she's very petite. She is so just in a in a group standing there with like you know fifteen people just the size difference of her compared to some of the other people would just be a funny visual. Um, exactly. And I did, know. I did kind of double check. She is, she's in her thirties as well, even though she looks very young, but yeah, she is incredibly tiny, which again, another goof for like the super, super tall Bill Hader. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh God. That's funny. I'm yeah, that's, that's great. I think I like yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on to Jay Algernon Hawthorne, who's next up on our list. This is the British guy mm-hmm. um, that I like. I love. I love because uh, he's got such wonderfully like charming gap teeth, right? Which are great, and it's just he's so quintessentially British. Um, and and as you pointed out, like when him and Jay Russell Finch get into a fight, it essentially kind of turns into like America versus England at that point. <laughs> And so who who were you thinking as somebody who maybe can kind of stand in for like all of Great Britain? <laughs> uh, well, I picked uh, I picked Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. Nice. Very good. I like that. Yeah. Because the person you pick has to kind of stand in for all of like the UK. I feel mm-hmm. like the obvious choice is like Colin Firth or Hugh Grant, but I don't think that any of them can do indignant. Yeah. Steve Coogan would be fantastic. I think yeah, he, well, he could argue really well. And I felt this character was really silly. Yes. As far as, you know, uh, you know, as all the characters go, he was very, very silly. So I thought Steve Coogan would be, would be fun. Yes, absolutely. I think for mine, I wanted to go with somebody who, again, I think of as quintessentially British, but also somebody who can do like stammering arguments and kind of get really offended very quickly. So I thought mm-hmm. Rafe Rafe Fines would be fun in this role. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Now Oh, and only... especially that makes you know, especially after his, you know, Grand Buda, Grand Budapest hotel role. That would be yes. actually I didn't even think about that. That's great. Yeah, but here's the thing. I definitely I and I would hope you agree, no matter who we cast in this remake, it is a requirement. You have to have that little mustache and we're CGing in a gap in your teeth. <laughs> you gotta have it. Like I want that. I'll spend ten billion dollars of my budget on the gap teeth uh, CG to make that work. You know. Yes, and I can see either one of them going toe to toe with who, 
whoever like the character of um uh mrs marcus yes absolutely yeah and like the idea of like for me ray fines and ryan gosling fighting that just it just very much feels like um like america and england in a boxing match you know <laughs> yes oh god All very right. good so speaking of Mrs. Marcus, that's who we had up next. So she is the mother-in-law of J. Russell Finch, the mother of Emmeline Marcus Finch, and she might be my favorite character from this whole movie. I yeah, mean, I love it, love Ethel Merman, love her character. Yeah, just she is. She never fails to get huge laughs anytime you watch this movie for the hundredth time, or anytime you introduce somebody new. They love Ethel Merman as Mrs. Marcus. Oh my God, just unapologetically turned up all the way to a 10 in every scene and hilarious, perfect. And especially like (laughs) in a film amongst a bunch of men, she like makes them all stop and listen to her. And she's in the most hilarious way. And her physical comedy is so great too. Yes. Yes. And I love her look in this movie too. Like she has enough, eyeliner on that like if her if an <laughs> eyelash broke off it would it would break her foot you know yes uh, uh the scene where they drag her out of the car in the middle of the desert yeah and they turn her upside down and they shake the keys out of <laughs> yes. her and the whole time she's going you wouldn't you wouldn't dare <laughs> uh, I love uh, it. that was that scene got i uh i there was a few like legitimate laugh out loud moments and I'd say a lot of them came from her and then a few characters that we'll get to later, but God, yeah, I love Ethel sure. Mormon in this. So this was hard to, to pick somebody. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up going with Olivia Coleman. Oh, nice. There you go. She could do it for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that choice. Yeah. Cause she could, now would you have her stick with her British accent or would you have her go full American? Probably full American. If she can do that, like thick East coast, what, I don't know what kind of accent, Ethel Merman was doing but if she could do <laughs> you know like, what I'm talking yeah it's almost like yeah it's like transatlantic almost yeah. right but like oh god I love it that's a great choice Olivia Coleman mm-hmm. I for so I so again for for Emmeline Finch I picked Lupita Nyong'o right um and so I was thinking because Ethel Merman is such a powerhouse in this movie for the remake you have to get somebody who is so big and so famous. That can I guess just, who you're going to say? I, I think you can. Yeah, I think because you just cannot believe that she's in this movie playing this character. So I go ahead and guess. I think you're going to guess. I'm guessing you're going to say Whoopi. No, you're close, but I'm going even bigger than that. If she would agree to do it, I would love to cast Oprah Winfrey. Oh, my God. As the mom, right? Because it's just <laughs> Oprah's so likable that, again, I think it would be so fun to see her play this, as, as they say in the movie, this annoying old bag. Yeah. Um, and just completely again it would be so funny to see Oprah like nag on Bill Hader or Ryan Gosling like and just complain and moan the whole time that I would just I'd give anything to have Oprah in this role I would love to see her play that kind of role yeah because the whole time you'd be thinking how is she in this movie like how is this even possible she's so famous for this right (laughs) oh that would be such a fun turn for her that's a good choice I like that Good. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's that one. That one was one of the first ones I came up with, and I was like, I'm delighted by this. <laughs> A little out of the box, but I love it. Yeah. Okay, so we had next on our list was the character Melville Crump, played by Sid Caesar. Yes. 
Um, oh wait, did we skip? Uh, did we skip Sylvester the brother? Oh, we did. So yes, Sylvester the brother. Um, who was very funny. I <laughs> yeah. just him. His introduction is just him dancing in his underwear with his girlfriend, and then yeah. you know a little later in the movie he's just driving, sobbing, weeping over Sob- his mother. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm coming, mama. He screams going 100 miles an hour. So I had for this role, Charlie Day. Charlie Day. Nicely done. (laughs) Oh, man. He would be perfect for that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. You could see him just dancing in like his little, you know, his short little bathing suit or whatever with his Uh girlfriend. and And I could also see him weeping as he drives, being like, mom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming, mama. Yeah, God, I love it. So the person I picked for this uh, is because, again, I think he could do intense really well to comedic effect. I would love to see Michael B. Jordan play Mm. the brother there. I could just see him bawling, driving 100 miles an hour, talking to Oprah, going, I'm coming, mama. (laughs) I Uh, am obsessed with this choice. That's amazing. I mean, not only do I, I love Michael B. Jordan, but like just to have just to break down the image that we have of him as Creed and Killmonger and like this tough guy. Oh yeah. my God. And, and all, just see and, him as but, like a woefully misguided hippie, you know, or whatever. Yes. But also like sobbing at the feet of Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also like, because he is incredibly in shape, right. And mm-hmm. like, I could see it being a little scary of like, when he's driving, like say he's in like a Corvette or whatever, and he comes mm-hmm. up and he starts smashing into uh, Jay Aldrin and Hawthorne's Jeep or whatever, and he's like trying to run him off the road, like that could be funny and scary at the same time. Yes. Because you know? he's just so intense. He's so intense, <laughs> but he's also so like emotionally like a child. <laughs> yes, very much so. So that was the, with Lupita, Oprah, and Michael B. Jordan, those were the puzzle pieces that I kind of had to fit into place, but... I'm happy with uh, with how they kind of shook out. But I think Charlie Day is a great choice as well. Because he, <laughs> I, I just, I can already see him crying. And like almost, <laughs> and like crying so hard that clearly he's not even looking where he's driving. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh God, he'd be great for that. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought him, Anna Kendrick, and Olivia Coleman would be a, a, a fun family. <laughs> yes, that would be an amazingly fun family. I would want to, I'd switch and I'd want to be adopted by them. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, mom, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that rounds out the the Marcus Finch clan. Um, so yeah. So next we had a married couple. We'll do the husband first. Was Melville Crump, played by Sid Caesar. Um, this was the other character that just made me laugh. Like almost every other scene that he was in it was so funny. Um, him and when we get later to uh, Lenny Pike, I thought were hilarious. Um, yes. But, like, I don't know, this name came up in my mind early, and it's not a guy who we've seen do a lot of comedy, but I feel like, given this character would be so great in it, I picked Michael Stolberg. Nice! I like that. I like that. Yeah, and Michael Stolberg is an amazing actor, so he could definitely do such a wide range of stuff. No, I'm totally, I I love that choice. That's a great choice. (laughs) Michael Stuhlberg. Oh, God. Yeah, because you can see him as, like, you know, a reasonable dad in that Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man. Yeah. And then you can see him as, like, a violent gangster in 
boardwalk empire yeah so you could absolutely do everything in between here that's a great absolutely. choice well as a man who starts out from you know yeah he starts out from a very normal place and then it unravels as the movie goes i can just totally see that i can totally see him pulling that off yes absolutely i kind of feel like i may have taken an easy choice here but i the same i thought the same thing i thought you have a guy who starts off as normal and then kind of goes crazy by the end and i picked a guy who's literally already done that but he didn't do it to comedic effect he did it for six seasons in albuquerque new mexico making meth i thought it would be great to have brian <laughs> cranston as oh that's a good Melville. one too because again just that expressive mm-hmm. that expressive face of his and like the other thing i love too that barely gets mentioned like twice but i really clung to it is like that his character uh like so melville crump is a dentist i love that right. that, that only gets mentioned twice but i'm thinking like who would i reasonably believe is a doctor you know that i see on the street or whatever and i'm like yeah I, if i met brian cranston and he told me he was a doctor I, i'd believe it yeah <laughs> you know? well i mean famously the mad dentist yes exactly right I mean, he did <laughs> from, he, seinfeld, he was, yeah. from seinfeld yeah i was gonna say he played a dentist in seinfeld yeah so maybe yeah. i picked an easy choice but no, I but that thought... is a good one. And it's also somebody you can picture as, like, a husband. Like, a normal-ass man who's just somebody's husband. Yes, exactly. Uh, the scene that, his, that always kills me is when they they get to the airport, the airport or whatever first, and they get into the airplane, the airport that was, or the, the plane or whatever that was made in 1916. <laughs> and he's desperately trying to convince his wife that, like, it's totally fine. But as he steps into the plane, it, like he steps through the floor of the plane and like, oh God, he's yeah. and then and then the whole scene where they're stuck in the um in the in the store, the hardware store, like yeah. again, for, for obvious reasons, like that just works really well right now since most of us are all stuck in one place and we can't leave anyway. Yeah. So just the idea of like desperately trying to get outside is has a I whole other added level of comedy. I forget how they got stuck in there. They got stuck because they ran in right when they said they were going to close for lunch. And they were like, right. oh, we're, we'll just go in there anyway. And then the one guy who was closing up shop didn't see them come in. So he just locked them. Like, why the tool, like, why the, the hardware store has, like, a deadbolt, you know. From the outside. <laughs> yeah, from the outside, I'll never know. But it's still <laughs> funny that they're locked in there with tools and shovels and dynamite as well. Yeah, that's, ah, uh, God. And the, the way... That middle section of the movie is just quick scenes of each character in their moment of pure, like, mania. Going back and forth between them and Mickey Rooney in the plane and the family that's now separated and desperate. I mean, it's... I I loved every scene of them in that store trying to get out. Just every... it's, It's such... It's a lot of old school physical comedy, right? Like he sets the torch facing one way, he knocks it over, and then the whole place <laughs> catches on fire, right? And then like yeah. he sets off some dynamite, and the fuse doesn't go, so he stands up and he goes to check on it, and then it goes. But like, it still gets me, <laughs> you yeah. know. It it just kills you, right? And it's like, and definitely too the whole like, time while the and then you know through this the couple are just constantly at odds the whole time too. I mean, I loved it. Yeah, of course. It's like if you've been in a long term relationship. There's definitely moments of their scenes that, that, that ring true one way or another, uh, you know, where it's just like they're just trying to make the best of it, but they're getting on each other's nerves at the same time. And it's like, 
Yeah, their, their their relationship works so well for me in this movie. It, it kills me every time. <laughs> so, and speaking of their relationship, who who are you thinking for Monica Crump, his wife in the movie? I picked Tony Collette. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. I could see them working off of each other well. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree there. Oh, that's great. Tony Collette is, oh man, I'm kind of, I did not even think of her. And uh, now I'm disappointed because... I think she would have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's really good. And Here she, you go. Again, <laughs> like super expressive and like, yeah. you know, because she can do, she can do both supportive and she can do like exasperated at the same time. Totally. <laughs> the person I picked um, was, the, the person I picked was Catherine Hahn. And I picked her just because I love Catherine Hahn. Oh, yeah. And I don't think Catherine Hahn ever gets the credit that she's deserved. And I just... I love seeing her in stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought she'd play kind of well up against Brian Cranston, but I think I like yours better. I think I'd go with Tony Collette for sure. Yeah. I mean, Brian Cranston and yeah, Catherine Hahn are good. I also had kind of on deck Julia Louis Dreyfus. Oh, but, nice. There you go. There you but go. But she's such a commanding presence, you know, and I just thought like it Yeah. The the she, pair up of Michael Solberg Tony Collette would be would be good complimentary. Yeah, at no at no fault to Michael Schulberg, Julie Lou Dreyfus would just wipe him off the screen. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's funny. That's great though. Yeah, Tony Collette. What a good choice. <laughs> God. Okay. Uh, moving on down the list, we've got we could talk about it together, right? So Benji Benjamin and Ding Bell. Which, by the way, I don't know who came up with the name Ding Bell, but that's just such a weird, <laughs> like no one is named that. That's not a real person's name. What is that? But whatever. Or Benji it's... Benjamin. Yeah, or Benji Benjamin for that matter. <laughs> those feel like those feel like fake names that you write down on your Starbucks cup, or like if you're checking into a hotel under like a pseudonym. Those feel like those are the names you write down. You don't. Nobody actually has those names. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I had. So I started with. Ding Bell, because I recognized Mickey Rooney right away, and this was kind of the first time I'd seen him in a role where he was kind of, for lack of a better word, cool. Yeah, yeah, and young too. I mean, and you young, know. and like, and I knew this about him, but I'd never actually like gone back and watched one of those roles where like, apparently Mickey Rooney was such like a woman killer and all these things in Hollywood, and I was like, really, why? <laughs> <laughs> Because I've only you, ever seen him you, as a very old man or, like, a very young boy in, like, his early stuff with Julie Garland, right? So, like... Yes, exactly. So, this is where I had Ryan Gosling. Nice. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but So, then let's move to Benji Benjamin, who uh, played by Buddy Hackett, who is hysterical in this uh-huh. uh, role. But I think more than anything, because they're not, like, these are just friends, you got to pick them as a team. So, who are you matching up with Ryan Gosling? Okay, so I this would have to be a totally different character because the character Benji Benjamin as played by Buddy Hackett is not one that really exists anymore. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, so I went with Aziz. Aziz, sorry. Nice. I would definitely watch the two of them together. I could see or, them getting into some good shenanigans. And not to typecast, but I kind of got on the... Or Kamel Nanjiani. Kamel Nanjiani, yeah. That might be better, I think. Yes, absolutely. Gosling and Kumail. Yeah, I thought that would be a really good pairing. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Have, wait, have they worked together before? Or no? I don't think so. No. Uh, okay. Not to my knowledge, but yeah. So I think, yeah, that's probably the better choices. Kumail Nanjiani and Ryan Gosling. Nice. Yeah. All right. Fair. I, I like that. That would, uh, yeah, I can, oh God. I, like Seeing them in the plane together 
trying yes. to communicate over the wire with the command. I just I could see Ryan Gosling in that role so well of him trying to tell his friend how to fly the plane, trying to communicate with, you know, the control tower and I could see it so so clearly. So, oh yeah, absolutely. The scenes of them in the plane are still my favorite scenes in this movie. Like I belly laugh hysterically mm-hmm. every time. Like there's a line that Buddy Hackett has where like the the radio tower tells him to put on the the headset because the person who's flying needs to be the one listening as well. And so uh, Mickey Rooney tries to give him the headset and he doesn't want to wear it. And he's like, and he's like, I'm flying the plane and I'm trying to listen. What are you, what are you, the hostess? (laughs) (laughs) Just, yeah, that uh, that line kills me. This is also a side tangent. Um, But again, because I watched this movie when I was so young, um, Jim Backus is in this movie, right? As the, as the kind of alcoholic airplane owner, yeah, um, for just they, a moment too, kind yeah, of. Yeah, for for just a moment, right? But the the line that he has before he gets knocked unconscious in the plane is he says that he's going to uh, make make everybody a round of old fashions, and he's going to make them the old fashioned way. <laughs> and when I was five years old, that joke killed me so much that I often repeated it. And I this is not a joke. When I turned twenty one. I went to a bar and my first drink that I ordered was an old fashioned and I told the bartender to make it the old fashioned way. <laughs> and the look of disgust I got from the bartender <laughs> was just and the funny thing was it was a bar. It was like a dive bar in Denton, Texas up by <laughs> UNT. I don't think that they even had the ingredients to make an old fashioned. Um, like they served their drinks in red solo cups. <laughs> But I was like, I had literally been waiting like 17 years to say that uh, to a bartender. And it just I'll take an old fashioned and make it the old fashioned way. Yeah, exactly. And I said it like he said it too, like with that ridiculous transatlantic accent. Oh, man. And it just, I was shut down so hard. Like, I I don't think I got an old fashioned. And I don't think I got good service the rest of the night either. But I was like, don't don't care. Worth it. Like, I've wanted to say this for so long. (laughs) See, that's... Every time I've gone into, like, a craft cocktail bar, especially those, like, kind of snooty ones in, like, uptown Dallas area, I feel like if I say one thing, they're going to think I'm an idiot, and I'm going to get the... (laughs) And I'm going to get not the drink I ordered, or they're going to, like, tell me to leave. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I totally feel the... There's never a right time or place to order the drink that you actually want, because you're either at a bar that... This is a dumb place to be ordering, like a gin and tonic because this is a craft cocktail place or you're at like a dive and you're like you know I could really go for a French 75 right now <laughs> <laughs> right. and the bartender just looks at you like ma'am have you lost your mind <laughs> oh god well let me ask you a question when you turned 21 did you go to a bar that evening or what I guess the question I'm asking is what was your first like legal drink that you could have at 21 do you remember what you ordered or um so I remember for my 21st birthday, my roommate and I, we threw a party at my house. Oh, nice. Okay. We were we were living at like this rental house near where I went to college and um I'm trying to think. It was delayed a few days cuz my birthday's on May 1st, which is in smack dab in the middle of finals. Right. So we waited until finals were over and everyone was coming home for summer because 
we went to I, I'm from San Antonio I went to University of Texas at San Antonio so when all of our friends would come home for the summertime they would all just like come to our rental house because we're the only people who still had like their college rental over the right. summer right yeah you were still in the town so we like waited um, and then we just had a house party but soon after I turned 21 my mom and my aunts took me and my best friend to Vegas and I think I ordered I'm trying to think I just I saw someone at this club in Vegas I mean we ordered drinks throughout but in particular I saw someone at this club with this like blue glowing drink I was like what is <laughs> like that it actually like it actually glowed or well it looked like it glowed also okay. this was like late in the night and I just remember seeing like I've never seen that fluorescent color in a drink before what is that? And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll make it for you. I later found out the drink is called an adios, motherfucker. And it's like all, <laughs> it's like a Long Island iced tea turned up because it's like all these different types of alcohol mixed with all this sugar. And I don't remember what happened after that. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Like, I, I think almost everybody overdoes it on their 21st birthday, like, yeah. or around there, right? Ironically yeah. enough, my, so my birthday is May 26th. So my birthday was always like the last day of school. So every year it was like, do you guys want to come hang out for my birthday? And it was like, <laughs> nope, see you next summer, loser. Like, bye. <laughs> so for my birthday, my birthday when I was in college, like I had to go up to the uh, University of North Texas to visit some buddies because nobody else was around, like my hometown anymore. So we went up there um, and, and we, that's why we went to this bar. And this this bar in North, Holly in, in North Hollywood, that's where I live, uh, in North Texas, I don't know if it's still there or not, but like, legitimately they sold well drinks like whiskey and coke mm -hmm. for a for a quarter oh so my you God. had to you had to get wasted if you didn't want change for a five you know what i mean like that's so true i know get four. <laughs> i know it's like i gotta get four now because i don't want to jingle jangle quarters all night like <laughs> you know it's i've never oh god I, i've never experienced anything like that again so i don't know Wells if that bar is still there uh, I, I hope it is, and I hope some new 21-year-old made the same mistakes that I made that night, drinking way too many quarter drinks. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, so who did you have for this pair? We didn't get oh, to right. it. So for this pair, I wanted to, again, I, I'm with you 100% that the way that these characters exist in the movie, I think you got to change them up a little bit because they just don't quite exist like that anymore, especially the Buddy Hackett character. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to pick a comedy duo, or I wanted to pick a duo that just their presence together on screen makes people smile because they haven't seen them in a while. And so I would like to have as Benji, Ben Affleck, and then Ding as Matt Damon. I'd like wow. to see Matt Damon and Ben Affleck team up together. Full Boston accents, oh. you know. The whole thing, both kind of like blue collar working doofuses that were on their way to Vegas and just get like, you know, sidetracked in this thing. But I just the, I, the idea of like Ben Affleck panicking, trying to like fly the plane and then Matt Damon, like trying to talk him down. I just I, that to me makes me giggle. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I just oh wanted to pick gosh. somebody that already has that, you know, that chemistry. Yeah. Right, so that they just and, immediately pop off the screen. And you wish it could be them in like their 30s, but we'll take it now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll take it now. And yeah, I'll take them any, any way, shape, or form just to get them back together. And I know? like how apparently they're making a movie together now because for so long we're like, are they still friends? 
Right, exactly. They just hadn't worked together in so long. And they seem to, like, I think they still work together. They, like, write and stuff together. But just seeing them on screen together, like Goodwill Hunting, uh, just has been, it's been so long. I just, I was like, yeah, that's who I think it would be good in this. In that would be roles. great. Oh, yeah. Watching them, yeah, I'm telling you, watching them fly that plane and, like, it, it constantly dipping, like they're like, they're just drunken sailors, like, trying to fly this thing. It just... It never fails to make me laugh. Like anytime they get that aerial photography of them, like, you know, going up and down in the plane. Oh, I love it. That's my favorite part of this movie is the two of them in the plane. <laughs> Rightly so. It's a great scene. Yeah. And, and then of course, I, love, like when, I love the way it's cut in with the other scenes too. Yeah. And the, the thing that makes it so great is that the, the sound effect of the engine, like warbling through the air, they always, they always hit the sound before they hit the video edit. So you can hear the engine rumbling before they cut and you just know, Oh God, here we go again. We're going back to the plane and they're going up and down. (laughs) And then they finally land. Right. And also it is amazing to see one of the people who's in the plane tower talking them down is a super young, like mid thirties, Carl Reiner. um, Really? Awesome to see Carl Reiner that young. Like you always think of him as like an old guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in there as a, as a younger dude. You know, it's fun to see him that way. That is fun. Um, yeah. And then, as we talked about, when they land, you just get the briefest cameo. Three firemen pull up, and it's the Three Stooges. They don't have any lines. They don't yeah. do anything. But just great that, like, the Three Stooges were like, yeah, we'll show up. We'll film a shot, you know. What a fun bit. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh. God. So our next character, Lenny Pike, as played by Jonathan Winters, Yes. Might, might be my second favorite character of this, uh, right behind um, uh, Mrs. Marcus. Because uh, I thought she is, or I thought he is so freaking great as like this like rage comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's just, but he's also so lovable as like kind of a dumb like dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he's like a working man. He's driving a truck. And uh, yeah. He's very. It's very situational and turns into just him tearing up scenes. Um, I had for this one Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon, good choice, very good choice. I yeah. love Michael Shannon. I think he could play anything, and I think him doing like, yeah, rage humor is perfection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, if he was coming at you uh, like just at a hundred miles an hour, like as he's tearing down the gas station, yeah, uh, I would be terrified. I would be absolutely <laughs> terrified. Yeah. The, the person that I picked for this, just because I, I was thinking the same thing, like, you want somebody who's kind of, like, Jonathan Winters is a big dude, so you want somebody who's kind of big, because he's blue collar, I'm thinking somebody who's kind of strong, and I think it would just be funny to see a big guy throw around, you know, those two gas station workers, mm-hmm. so I for me, I picked John Cena. I think he could just oh, play kind of that lovable puppy, but also <laughs> just could easily pick up anybody and throw them across an entire gas station. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. um, I don't know. He's, I mean, obviously he's not like the level of stardom, but like at the same time, I don't know. It'd just be kind of fun to, I could easily see him tearing down an entire gas station by oh, accident. Oh, easily. I can see him doing that by accident. Um, that's a fun choice. Yeah. That's and he's another... got the star power too. Yeah, I just, absolutely. Yeah. I guess. I mean, yeah, it's, that's another great scene in this movie uh, is that, that John, or that John Cena, that, that Jonathan Winters single-handedly destroys an entire gas station by charging at the two guys who just opened their gas station earlier that week <laughs> and literally demolishes it down to the ground. Like, there's not a single thing standing at the end. 
And then he and then you get some good bits with him and uh and Mrs. Marcus and Ethel Merman. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They end up in a car together for a while. Oh my god. That seems to be the one thing that everybody is united on is getting this money and hating Miss Marcus. <laughs> Everybody just can't stand her because she's just so awful. <laughs> uh, love it. Oh, well, and, and then our next character, who also has, uh, who is brought in because of his uh, team up with uh, Lenny Pike, is yes. uh, is Otto Meyer, played by Phil Silvers. Yes. Again, he's another character that sometimes when I watch this movie, I'm like, okay, he's my favorite character now because he's just, he's so good. But ugh. yeah, I had Hank Azaria in this role. Nice. I like that. Yeah. Cause you want to get somebody who's like a fast talker who you could easily see kind of, you know, selling some slick shit. That's another great scene in this movie where he's, he picks up Don Knotts. And he's, he's trying to convince Don Knotts that he's a secret government agent <laughs> just so he can get him out of the car. And he's like, tell him X-95 says the coast is... Cl-. Don't look back there. Don't look at the helicopter. <laughs> and then Don Knotts kind of panics and like hops out of the car. And the minute he hops out of the car, Phil Silvers just takes off with his car. Like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Hank Azaria would be a great choice. Yeah. And then with the kid and he goes floating down the river and... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I I wanted to pick somebody like I, I initially I crossed him off but my first choice I thought for a minute it'd be fun to have Kelsey Grammer in this role but I ultimately mm. went with Sam Rockwell just because uh, I feel like with the right yeah. costume and that kind of shit eating grin of his immediately he's just like a huckster you know that could like you could just immediately dislike this guy because uh-huh. the movie doesn't really have any villains per se but Otto Meyer is about the closest you get to a villain in the movie. Um, so I, I just wanted to pick somebody who just immediately reads as like, oh yeah, you're you're a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a used car salesman type character. Totally. And he's supposed to be like some kind of academic, but we don't really know if that's true. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's certainly not smart enough to to figure out how physics work as he tries to drive down a cliff and then through a river and yeah. Well, a little kid says it would be fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, there's just so many great like like it feels like classic scenes, you know, like in, in mm-hmm. the, like a physical comedy in this movie. Yeah, I think yeah. Well, it it informed so much of like comedies that we know now. You yes. Know? For sure. There's definitely a lot of gags in this movie that you've seen before, but you saw them because this movie did it first. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. All right. Well, two characters left. And the and the characters, um, like, oddly enough, they're called second cab driver and third cab driver. I don't even remember uh, first cab driver in Me the movie. Me neither. But the reason why I wanted to include him is because, like, that very famous shot at the end of the movie when they finally get to the big W mm-hmm. and they start digging up the money... Those two cab drivers are there. Um, yeah, they so they pick like, up well, pretty quickly, right. and they yeah, follow exactly. them into it. Yeah, exactly. So who who were you thinking for second cab driver or third cab driver? We can kind of talk about them together, I think. Well, exactly. So I kind of thought it would be fun to do a bit of comedians that we like to see together. Yes. Because they're only in it for like a couple of minutes, but wouldn't it be fun to see? I put Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph. Oh, nice. There you go. Yeah. There you go. You can just have a nice... Yeah, people that, like, you know work well together. Yeah, and all they need is a couple seconds of 
bits between just the two of them to make it a little like as the face of the audience, it would be yes. gold. Though I see, I went kind of a different direction in the sense that because these people have such limited screen time and because this happens so late in the movie, I wanted to get people who, again, kind of like Oprah, are just so famous. You just can't believe that they showed up into the movie uh-huh. this late in the game. So I thought for the cab drivers, it would be fun if we could get them to do Will Smith and Tom Cruise. <laughs> but I want, but but Tom Cruise, I want to throw it out there. I want Tom Cruise in like the fat suit that he wore in right. Tropic Thunder. In like I full disguise. Him, yeah, I want Tom Cruise unrecognizable as Tom Cruise. But just it's fun because you know it's Tom Cruise. That would be a good bit. But yeah. just two people that you're like, oh my God. Like how did way they too get famous Will Smith? Yeah, yeah, way too famous. What happened? Like did they need a kitchen remodeled? Yeah. Or like why are they here? You know? Oh God, yeah. That's a, I think you have a great cast list that I would absolutely watch your movie. Um, <laughs> that would be hysterically funny to have all those people in there. Um, oh God, I could see Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen just like, especially Maya Rudolph like getting real into like, yeah, what are these people doing? Like, why are these people all running around and then well, these people are crazy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, to wrap the movie up, right? Like they so they finally do find. The big W. The one of the questions I have for you is: They finally get to the, the the Santa Rosita Park, and they all have picks and shovels and stuff. Did you see the big W in the background before they make a whole meal out of that shot where Jonathan Winters realizes it and he turns around? Did you notice that it was the trees before the movie tells you what it is, or did it? Did you discover it along with uh, Lenny Pike? Uh, no, I discovered it along with uh, it's. It's Emmeline that really sees it oh, first. Oh, that's right. She does see it first. Yeah. That's right. I totally forgot about it. Yeah. So I, I discovered it in that scene because then they, yeah, she notices it and I was like, oh, that's it. Yes, exactly. Uh, disappointing to report that that W was on private property and a couple years after the movie came out, they were so tired of tourists coming by, they tore it down. Aww. So that those trees are not even there. So you cannot, unfortunately, go visit the, the giant W it's a bummer. Yeah, anymore. Because trust me, I live in Southern California. If you could, I would have done it by now. I definitely would have gone. Totally. Yeah. Um, I love in that scene where they finally start digging up all the money and then they start arguing about that there's too many people in the, <laughs> you know, there's too many people in the hole. Um, and there's another shot in that um, sequence that just kills me where uh, Spencer Tracy finally walks up and he hasn't really said anything. Yeah. And he walks up next to Buddy Hackett and there's just a moment where Buddy Hackett looks at him and there's no words, but Buddy Hackett just looks at him like, who are you? And Spencer Tracy just smiles at him. And then this giant goofy smile just hits Buddy Hackett's uh, face. And he just kind of turns like, all right, well, this guy's nice enough. And just kind of goes back to like looking at the hole. <laughs> but that shot, the way that, that, that Buddy Hackett does it every time, I just belly laugh hysterically. Um, yeah. They're like, who's this guy? He doesn't have a shovel, but okay. (laughs) But okay, yeah. So then he convinces everybody to to leave the money, and then he goes to steal it, and shenanigans happen. And then you have this amazing, uh, you know, for for 1963, this amazing special effects thing where they're all on this fire escape, and they're trying to come down a fire ladder, and then they all, all all the men, because all the women at this point are way too smart to get involved at this. They're all out. Uh, at this point and so the, all the men start flying off 
of the fire escape and they like one lands on electrical wires and of course yes. one slides down a 30 foot table of like pies <laughs> a lot of them <laughs> get thrown a... through windows into other buildings i mean every single one of these this is when i was like they are all dead <laughs> yeah right absolutely they are for sure dead. despite the fact that all of their cars at one point fully flipped over on a highway during a scene <laughs> yes exactly and I, and I so a couple years ago I went to um, this museum that's on Hollywood Boulevard and it's called the Hollywood Museum and it's in the old uh, Max Factor building and they have a bunch of cool stuff there they have like one of the pairs of ruby red slippers and um, the reason I went to the exhibit was because they had a ton of original costumes from the 1966 Batman uh, uh, show and movie but on one of the upper floors. They had the miniature set that they used for the fire escape with all of the, like some of the stuff that they used was stop motion animation. And then sitting on a park bench next to the display was the body double dummies for Buddy Hackett and Mickey Rooney and Jonathan Winter. I'll text those pictures to you later so you can see them. But I was legitimately. I'll put them on the Instagram. Yeah. And I was legitimately starstruck by those old props. Like I just could not believe that they were there and that I was able to see them. And I was like, I was so excited to see those um, props. And it was just because it's so funny. The dummies, of course, look nothing like the actual people. But, you know, they just get thrown across like an entire field or whatever. And you don't really yeah. notice the difference. Um, but that was a real treat getting to see those, you know. Oh, and I wish course, they had like, the mask, the, the Spencer Tracy the mask. The Spencer Tracy mask, yeah. <laughs> and of course, like, again, the people I was with, I went with a couple of co-workers like, none of them knew what it was. And I was like, guys, this is one of the greatest movies ever. Like, I was so disappointed. But uh, anyways, yeah, I'll send you those pictures. You can throw them up there. They were absolutely, it, it was a treat to get to see that. So, um, and then final scene of the movie, right? They're all, they're all in body cast. Mm-hmm. And they're all, you know, like, I love that, like, I don't know who designed all the cast, but I love that they're all kind of in various positions and, uh-huh. you know, all of the dudes are completely busted up. Again, because the women at this point were smart enough to go, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right? yeah. So it's just the men who get hurt. And, yes. and not I to love... mention all the money. So while oh, they're right. hanging off of this building above a huge crowd, the suitcase gets busted and the money just falls into the crowd. Exactly. Of course. Which is kind of, you knew that was coming. There was no way. No one was going to end up with the money. Yeah. There were, they were all so greedy and awful by the end of it that there was no way anybody was going to get a nickel of that actual money. Um, oh God. So then they're in the, the, the hotel or the hotel, the hospital. And the, the end scene of this movie legitimately, every time I watch it, it makes me cry because they're all everybody's mad at Captain Culpepper because he was supposed to be the voice of reason and you know he ended up being a bad guy because he made a bad decision to steal the money and Spencer Tracy really pulls out these acting chops where he gives this like quick monologue about how my wife is divorcing me my daughter's changing her last name because they're embarrassed of me and I'm gonna go away for the long time every one of you guys is probably gonna get off super easy because the judge is going to throw the book at me. And he says, I'd like to think that maybe five, 10, even 15 years from now, I'll find something to laugh at. Right. And it's this like really heartfelt, sad moment where he's full of regret. And then the women come back into the, (laughs) the the hospital room. And I think it's uh, the, it's uh, the British guy. I think it's Hawthorne throws a banana peel. Uh And of course in walks Ethel Merman and she's leading the group of the women. And she's immediately starts nagging, nagging, nagging. 
And then she slips on the banana peel and does a classic pratfall. Yes. And everybody starts laughing. And, of course, Captain Culpepper slowly but surely starts to smile. And then he starts to laugh. And it just, that moment always kills me. Especially, it seems really relevant, or really um, relevant right now, that it's like, no matter how bleak things are in your life, or no matter how big of a mistake you've made, there's always going to be something around the corner eventually that will make you smile or things will get better. And mm-hmm. I, I just love that that message and I love that moment so much that I always laugh and I always cry at the end of uh, the movie every time, every single time I watch it. Oh, well, I mean, that's great. And that it was it is a it is a really good way to end a movie like that. Yeah, it's just I like there's so much chaos throughout the whole thing and to have it just end on Spencer Tracy giving this like really heartfelt moment and then this like really great moment of levity it's yeah it's a perfect yeah, ending it is I mean and the classic banana pratfall is like the gag of gags in movies ever yeah. right so the fact that they and of course it's like it had to be Ethel Merman because mm-hmm. even by the end of the movie you can't stand her either so to watch her fall and slip like 20 feet into the air or not 20 feet but you know 5 feet in the air it just it makes you laugh as well so it is just a, such a fantastic movie and I'm so glad that you enjoyed it and I got, I'm got i glad that we got the chance to, to talk about it too Agreed, I loved it um, I'm very thankful that I've now been introduced to this and have had time to like really sit and think about all these characters Yes, exactly. The only homework you have is that you have to go introduce this to somebody else now. You now you've been you've been tapped on the shoulder and you've got to go pass it along to somebody else. Well, here we go. Everyone listening, if you've made yes. it this far into the episode, you didn't already watch it. Yes, that's exactly right. You gotta go watch. watch it. And again, <laughs> if you're if you're interested in the movie, I would strongly recommend picking up the Criterion version of the movie because they did a really, really excellent restoration of the some um, of the lost release footage. Yeah, they so they did a great version of the general release version. And then for the first time ever, they assembled a bunch of the footage that was thought to be lost. So again, it's not complete, but it's it's close. So if you want to see the longer version of the movie, give it a try for sure. So I would recommend the Criterion version if you're going to watch it. Excellent. Well, so as always, I don't do grades for movies because for you it's an a plus absolutely so. a plus plus a plus plus um and i would agree i i loved every second of it um but shane i do have some questions for you i know yes. you listened to the previous episode so hopefully you're prepared i am i am a fan of the show so i'm i'm hopefully ready well thank you um yes yeah, so first question i ask everybody is um what is uh a movie that you love to watch uh that makes you feel better if I am in a spot where I need to feel a little bit better, one of the movies that I love watching all the time is Ocean's 13. That is my favorite movie of, I guess I, maybe I just have a thing for ensemble cast now that I'm uh-huh. kind of thinking about it, but I love Ocean's 13 so much because. Not 11. The, not, I mean, I love 11 and I like 12, but 13 to me is the best one of that bunch. It just has the funniest gags to me. And I love that. There are like by the time they make the third one, the chemistry between those guys is so great that every tiny little look or glance, you know, mm-hmm. is just it really registers and it's really funny. But that movie always makes me chuckle. It's always such a fun watch that like if I'm ever in kind of a crummy mood, I'll definitely put that on and it will pick me right back up by the end of the movie. Yeah. The 13 is great. And there. Yeah. There's some really great comedy within 
glances. Yes. Favorite favorite moment in that movie, if I may, on a tangent mm-hmm. for just a half second. There's a scene halfway through the movie where the Livingston character, who's kind of like the nerdy tech guy. Oh, yeah. He gets embedded. About. Yeah, he gets embedded into a shuffle, a company that makes like shuffle decks or whatever, and he's trying to rig them so that they can cheat on blackjack. So he, he's explaining to George Clooney and Brad Pitt uh-huh. and Matt Damon how the machine works, <laughs> and he starts by saying, "He goes, okay, so in blackjack, the object of the game is to get to twenty-one, and George Clooney does this look <laughs> that's obviously sarcastic of like." Oh my God, I've been playing the game wrong the enti- yeah. my entire life. And if you watch the scene, Brad, <laughs> Brad Almost Pitt, breaks. And, and then starts to chug his drink to hide the fact that he is definitely breaking the rest of that scene. It kills me every time. Just pull up that moment. George Clooney's look of, oh my God, I've been playing blackjack wrong. I thought it was 29 all, all my whole life. And then Brad Pitt just dying laughing. Oh, my God. It kills me every time. I love that scene. I love it. Oh, boy. I will say, going back to this recast, having, like, put Clooney in it, I was looking for, like, where do I put Brad? Yeah, exactly. I mean, those two work so well. And then, of course, Matt Damon, right? You put Matt Damon in there, too. Now, if you if you had to rank the Oceans movies, I remember when uh, the the Mad About Movies boys brought yeah. me on to talk about them, and we got a little heated about ranking these movies. Right? Where how would you rank them? Like maybe in terms of your favorites, or so I would go eleven, and then thirteen, and then twelve. I feel like that's the pretty like most that's, people would agree most with people you would there. say that, and I and I it does give me pause because I do like twelve a lot. But what I love about 13 is what brings me back to 11, if that makes sense. You're back in Vegas. You're kind of doing the heist again. Um, There's some really great... There are some really, really great bits in 13. Like, I love the whole, like, revolution at the Dice Factory (laughs) subplot. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Love it. I mean, yeah. So, it's it's close, um, but... I, and I, I think that is a really great answer for like a movie that kind of gives you comfort because like it does just that chemistry, that script, all three of them, like they're a really great rainy day little mini marathon. And I recently, um, this past summer, went to Hawaii for a friend's wedding and I'm really not great at sleeping on planes, even though like I really want to, especially on those long rides and I get motion sickness pretty easily. Oh, so no. I've, I mean, yeah. So I always take like, you know, all the German me beforehand, but like I always get like an aisle seat and, you know, so I can stand up and stuff. But yeah, I put on the little, the little TV that they had just a ton of movies. And I saw they had all three oceans. I was like, perfect. I'm putting all three on very nice. low volume and I'm going to try to nap. And if I wake up every 30 minutes, like I always do, I'll just watch a few minutes and then try to go back into it. And it was like the most comforting way to get through a long plane ride. Cause I hate those. So I totally am on board with like, these are great comfort food. Nice. Movies. Nice. I've never even thought to do that. I don't travel all that often, but I'm absolutely with you. I am six foot six. So f- sleeping on a plane is completely out of the question. If for nothing else, but because the neck rest, when I pull it all the way up, it barely even comes to the bottom of my neck. Yeah. So I don't, there's no way I'm sleeping on a plane. So I think I might do that the next time I'm on a a plane ride that's like 
longer than a couple hours is I'm just going to try to marathon all three of those movies and yeah see you how, take you some know. Dramamine and some melatonin right before you get on and just try it's a nice even if you're not fully asleep it's you can at least feel like you're resting <laughs> you know yeah exactly exactly I'm, I'm with you though hashtag aisle seat all the way oh I have to yeah um, absolutely and then, okay, so my follow-up to that is, is there a TV show version that, like, makes you feel better when you're in a bad mood or, like, makes you feel good kind of thing? Yes, for sure. For me, uh, one of my favorite shows ever um, that I will put on, again, just if I'm, like, if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm, like, doing laundry or folding clothes or, or anything like that, for me, it's uh, Frasier. I will put on Frasier any day of the week. And I feel like... Uh, didn't somebody already say that? I know a lot of people have said Parks and Rec because that's another wonderful answer. Um, but who did somebody else say Frasier? Didn't Megan say that? Megan, I think Lauren might have said it. Yes, okay, but it's yeah, excellent choice. I know I both love... of them love Frasier a lot. Lauren named her cats Frasier and Niles, so oh, sure, Niles. <laughs> wonderful. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that show so much. Um, and, and part of it is because. There, it's scary a little bit that I see a little bit of myself in Frasier but I'm just constantly you know what I mean I'm constantly like overdoing things and I'm constantly like hoisted on my own petard of like I thought this was a good idea and I thought I was going to come off as rather intelligent and then it all kind of backfires on me um, but I, That's I love fine. you I, and I have both said I think on multiple occasions on the the group chat the discord for the matter of movies this is a snob safe zone so. Yes, absolutely. For <laughs> sure. For sure. Um, one of my favorite episodes of the show, if you're looking for one, I don't know what season it is, but one of my favorite episodes is where Frasier, the whole radio station um, is tasked with creating little jingles to intro their shows. And in traditional tra- Frasier fashion, he super overdoes it and hires like a 30 piece orchestra and writes this like 10 minute symphony about the joys and perils of psychology and like just completely overdoes it and it backfires. <laughs> and that episode just kills me because there's so much stuff about what he does that I'm like, oh man, I've done stuff like that before too. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh God, I love Excellent. it. Excellent. Yeah, okay. Frasier is on, I think it just left Netflix. I think they lost the rights to it. It's but been I, on Hulu yes. forever as well. And it's on Amazon Prime as well. Because again, once it left Netflix, I panicked and I was like, oh no, I got to find it. And I think it's on both of those. So um, it's fairly it's easy to find. funny you say that because I think it was you who recently said on a Mad About Movies episode, people who have Netflix just to rewatch the same show should just buy those DVDs. Yeah, absolutely. I will, uh, I'll send you the article that I read, but there was a woman who wrote an op-ed piece on the New York Times that, that made me chuckle. And I think the title of the headline was, or the headline of the article was, I should have bought the damn DVDs. And she realized that she had, I think it was Friends, and she realized that she had chased the show Friends over like three different streaming services. And over the course of like four years, probably spent $500 on those streaming services just to watch Friends. And she's like, if I would have bought the Blu-ray box set, it was $90. And I have it for all time, for eternity, you Mm -hmm. know, and just that way I have it. So um, I would definitely recommend if you love a particular show, if you have a comfort show like Frasier or Parks and Rec or whatever, definitely look into just buying it instead of following it around over a streaming services. Um, And iTunes has been doing great sales. Just last week, I noticed that iTunes was selling Cheers. The entire series, 277 episodes for $20. Wow. 
And it was like, oh my God, I love Cheers. And for $20, I will definitely own that entire series. Yeah. Cheers must have just left Netflix then because it was yeah. on. It might, yeah, must, right. And so now it's like, I don't care. I don't, if it's on Hulu, if it's on Amazon, whatever. I got it. I can just pull it up whenever I want. I did the same thing with Parks and Rec. I think that was on sale um, for like 20 or 25 bucks as well. So definitely check iTunes because they're, they usually run sales on television seasons. Um, be, because television seasons are so much more popular on streaming services, they yeah. usually run pretty great deals to try to get some money from you um, so that you can own it in perpetuity, I guess. Yeah. Own it, keep it in the cloud, and there you go. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and then my third question for you is, what is your favorite, quote-unquote, bad movie? So I feel like my, we might have some similar answer here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, like, on the Mad About Movies podcast, I am I am hopefully jovially known as Batman Shane. I'm, I'm a huge Batman fan, and... I've been reading Batman comics since I was a kid and I've been watching all those movies and I and I know a lot about Batman. So I any movie that has Batman in it, uh, I love it. Uh, and if it's bad, I still love it because Batman's in it. So the Joel Schumacher Batman films and especially Batman and Robin <laughs> is, is such a, it's a symphony of just utter disaster. Uh-huh. And we were, I was the Mad About Movies boys just did an episode on it. Um, and of course they trashed it and they should because it is a really bad movie but I love that movie so much I've come around full circle to it I went from hating it to now loving it and I and I believe we've had conversations you love it too yeah um it's it's my answer for this question uh I don't know if I've given it yet but yeah it well it came out when I was a kid and I know that like as it did for many of us but like I think it's a real fun kind of kids movie if you take the weird innuendos aside which of course went over my head when I was younger I was yeah, just there for like the fun costumes which when you're a kid they're fun and they're not stupid <laughs> and uh, right. you know Uma Thurman doing her like insane thing and I thought Mr. Freeze was hilarious when I was a kid so whatever I don't care I think it's fun it's a cartoon shot with real people with real people yeah exactly it's, it's a full cartoon and hey i'm here for it i think it's fun i, I always you. i always have fun watching it i love it I, yeah it is such a bad movie filled with so many inconceivably bad choices but i love every single second of it it's such yeah. a fun watch because it's just it's a disaster but yeah. i love it i'm glad we have the same answer because it's i'm glad to <laughs> i'm glad to know that somebody like loves the movie just the same way that I do where it's like I'm not trying to defend it I'm not saying no, it's a good movie it's terrible but, but I love, I love it, it. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay and then last but not least my favorite question especially when I have guys on to uh, on the show uh, who was your first movie character crush so okay I, I've actually I've been thinking about this since I first <laughs> heard you ask the question and I, I don't I don't remember her character's name and the character herself isn't important but I definitely remember the first time I ever saw a a woman on screen that that made me think you know maybe girls don't have cooties (laughs) and and if they do they might not be so bad um for me was uh Cameron Diaz in The Mask I don't know if you remember that movie or stop. Her. That is my fiance's same answer. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's but it's the truth though. I mean, yes. I was so again. I, you and I are similar in the sense that 
uh, we grew up in pretty conservative households, and I was definitely not allowed to watch that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> but months later, maybe even a year later, I don't know, um, when it came out on home video, I was spending the night at somebody's house, and they had it. And they were like, do you want to watch it? And then I remember the mom was like, are you allowed to watch it? And just without missing a beat, I was like, absolutely. Absolutely, yep. I'm allowed to watch it. That was it. Yeah, my for answer sure. for every sleepover. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally allowed to watch this. What is it, rated R for, you know, hardcore nudity? T- totally fine. I can watch this. I'm fine. <laughs> so we put it on, and I and I distinctly, like, she comes out, like, in that opening scene in, like, this, like, white dress that's, like, yeah, and just... And I was probably, what was that movie? 94, 95? So I would have been six or seven at that point. And I just remember, like, not even fully understanding, like, you know, like, what, like, that, oh, I thought she was attractive. But just, I remember being like, whoa. Like, I just, you know, <laughs> couldn't even understand what was happening to me. Like, why I totally. felt flush all of a sudden. But <laughs> I, I could say your fiance has good taste if that was his answer, too, because it definitely was mine. He has been trying to get us to do that as a couple's costume for Halloween for a few years now. Nice. And I was like, I don't think you understand how disappointed you're going to be and how I look if I suddenly am wearing this costume. Like, <laughs> your first movie crush. And then it's me. <laughs> you might you might think maybe we shouldn't get married because I'm nowhere near at that level. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, I, I the funny thing was when you started talking, I was like, I don't know where this sentence is going, where you're like, my fiance is trying to get us to do. And I was like, ooh. For ooh, Halloween. I, yeah, for Halloween. Halloween. Now, <laughs> I actually, ironically enough, and you can tell your fiance, I was the mask for Halloween once when I was a, a kid. I had the... Um, I had like the, the mask or whatever. And my dad had like a zany smoking jacket that he bought as a joke, like in the seventies. And so I, I played the mask for Halloween once. So there you go. It, I suppose it can be done. It can be. Yeah. Done. I'll tell Cameron maybe someday. That's <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Well, if you do, I definitely expect to see pictures on this Instagram. Of the, the I think the fans will want to see pictures of the two of you together. On Of Instagram. course. <laughs> We uh, I'll have to do this Halloween. We usually do some kind of movie character or TV character. So I'll have to. I think a few. Our first one together was Bob and Linda from Bob's Burgers, and that nice. was that one's still my favorite. <laughs> nice. Now you said that your crush was the older brother from Honey I Shrunk the Kids, right? Mm-hmm. Russell. Who, mm-hmm. So who I, I got to look him up, but like who? It's it's not like a famous person. Oh, right? I'm not sure he really ever worked again. <laughs> Oh, nice. Well, it seems but a that one character. And I mean, I don't know. I loved that movie when I was a kid, and I, they kiss, and it was. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, I, hey, I completely understand. It's you know, it's hard to it's hard to put it it's hard to put exactly what happens you know when you find out your first movie crush. But uh huh, <laughs> I'm looking him up now. Russ Thompson is that his name? That's the character. Nice, nice. Well, there he is. Good for yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Yep. No, no, no. You know what's even weirder is, so he definitely did work, and he oh, played no. a character called Moloch in the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie, where he's this kind of older character that has, like, pointy ears, and he, oh, dies, no. of, and he dies of cancer. So oh, maybe, no. maybe avoid that movie if you kind of want to keep the image in your head of... <laughs> Of young Russell here from, <laughs> oh my god, from Honey you know, I Shrunk the Kids. I think I've seen Watchmen like twice, and I'm good. <laughs> and now that there's a series, that's way better. Yes, exactly. That series was amazing. 
Excellent. Um, so, Shane, I know you're not a super into uh, social media. I know. I'm, I'm just, I'm an old curmudgeon. But I'm, I'm on Facebook if you want to look me up. And then I'm also, on uh, both of us are active members on the, the Mad About Movies VIP uh, Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find us both in there. Excellent. Yes. And then you can find this show on Instagram at Love That Movie Pod and on Twitter at Love That underscore movie. And, um, yeah, we uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I, I could you. talk about this movie all day, so I love it. This was great. Excellent. And if there's anyone still listening, thanks for hanging in. Um, <laughs> we we definitely, had... this has been the longest episode of this show for sure, but it uh-huh. kind of feels fitting since it's definitely the longest movie on the show. Too. Definitely. Well, I had a blast and I'm always down to talk uh, all things uh, movies that we love. Uh, Until next time, we shall see you later. Bye.